Kura, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous Meeting on Air. My name is Dan. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm your host for today's meeting. So what we'll do is we always always start with the serenity prayer. So here it is. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Okay, now uh, we also start meetings with the AA preamble. It just explains a little bit about what what AA is and what it isn't. So, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, um, yes, we've, we've, we've got a, um, we need to have a full studio today. Um, we don't at the moment, but there's a person downstairs, so I might just get um, <coughs> my assistant to go down and grab them. <laughs> so d- just while we do that, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, a little reading from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. What I'll do is I'll, I'll read a little bit of chapter five, how it works. So that's, if you've got a big book, then it's on page 58. So I'll do a bit of a reading from the AA big book, chapter five, how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. But many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose, in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have, and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power, that one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took which I suggested as a program of recovery. 1. 
We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God would, could and would if he were sought. So that was a reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The, the book is called Alcoholics Anonymous and it was a, uh, the beginning of chapter 5, How It Works, on page 58. So this is uh, Access Radio 106.1 FM and we've got the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air and this is our, our first meeting for a while because we've been under lockdown here in Wellington and so the last couple of months we haven't had a meeting so we missed um, April and May so we're, we're back for, uh, for the 6th of June so um, very excited to be back in the studio and, uh, and recording um, a live meeting on air. So um, what, what I'll do is um, we'll, we'll just go around and um, and, and do some sharing, and um, if there's any time, we may, we may do another reading from the big book. But um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, um, I'd like to ask uh, Grace to share for us, please. Okay, um, thanks, Dan. Um, my name's Grace. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Grace. And this is my first time doing this um, this show. Um, I've been asked several times to do it, but part of me was a little bit nervous about... Um, uh, speaking to a wider audience, but I guess I can't really, I don't know how many people are listening, so i just got to let that go. Um, yeah, I have said that lots of times at meetings, you know, my name's Grace, I'm an alcoholic, so I don't know why it should be any different uh, saying it on a radio show. Um, well, yeah, I'm really grateful to be here today. This is, I've been to one meeting so far since we came out of um, Alert Level 3, one physical meeting, 
on Sunday and it was interesting being back and seeing people again. Um, and I've done lots of online meetings um, while, I've, while the whole thing's been going on for the last few months. So that's been really helpful. Um, I thought I would really struggle not seeing people face to face for the last few months, but um, I think I think if I was earlier in my recovery, I um, I really identified with being in, with people in the room, and definitely uh, in my first year um, and a half, probably two years of sobriety, um, the fellowship was very much my. Uh, sort of needing to see people all the time was, was kind of why I went to meetings and sort of was a habit to stop me from drinking. But I think as I've gone on, I've become a lot more secure in my sobriety and uh, um, a lot less kind of panicked, particularly during lockdown, about what would happen if I couldn't get to a physical meeting. Um, my story, um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from New Zealand originally. I'm from Ireland, where we love our drinking. And... Um, and it is a bit of a cliche, you know, an Irish person in AA. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's part of the culture. And um, and I suppose there is a degree of what do you mean you're an alcoholic? I don't think I could have gotten sober living in Ireland. Um, primarily because, um, as I said, the kind of cultural expectation that you go to the pub and you drink and sort of what's wrong with you if you don't drink, but also I think because I would have always had my family to fall back on. And um, living in New Zealand, in Wellington, by myself, um, hitting my rock bottom and living in a boarding house and sort of wondering somehow that my life wasn't always like this and there was another way, um, and not having that safety net of being able to go home to the house of mum and dad and get three meals a day and be told it's all okay and it's everyone else and not you. Um, I think I really felt that it was something had to change and and it had to be me um, because uh, I was always finding that difficult flatmate and that horrible co-worker and that manager and that it was always the same kind of person wherever I went and I had gone from one end of the world, one side of the world to the other and there I was still finding the same kind of people so I started to think maybe the problem was me. And that, you know, I'd brought all my baggage um, with me in my attempt to get away from Ireland and my hometown and, you know, all of that. Um, so that's really what brought me to my first AA meeting almost five years ago. In, in how many days? Like two weeks? I'll be five years sober. Um, and I, um, yeah, I was really, I had the gift of desperation. I... Um, was really unwell and I hadn't um, take, been taking care of myself very well. I wasn't eating properly, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't taking, yeah, just generally taking care of myself and I felt very um, emotional, very angry, very um, bitter, very, does there's a lot of emotions, but I felt this realisation one night after I had a bottle of wine and I was sitting there, it was about one o'clock in the morning and I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore, just something's got to give. And I fell into, felt fell to bed, fell asleep and then I woke up in my same clothes that I'd been in and it was a Monday night, so I'd gone to bed Monday night and I woke up on Tuesday morning and I was wearing the same clothes and I was late for work. And I just jumped out of bed, didn't even bother getting changed or anything and just went straight to work wearing the same clothes. And I walked in and I was 
like late and had to walk through this open plan office and I remember thinking oh god I, I could feel that I was smelling of alcohol and I just felt really horrible and just not ready to deal with the day and I didn't want to get up that morning I just felt really um, like why couldn't I just this blackout just keep going and um, yeah I walked in past everyone else in the office and just felt like they were all looking at me and just had this kind of like I can't do this anymore and then I sat down at my desk and I remember my team leader at the time she stood up and sort of said loudly in front of everyone oh you know Grace so you don't have to worry about doing that task I've done it for you so you can get your time back and I remember thinking I don't want my time back I don't want to be here today I wish I was dead um I wouldn't know what to do with my time in a split second I had that thought in my head and I just knew I was like I can't do this anymore I just knew something was desperately wrong and um, I sat back down and I just looked up um, on my phone, I looked up the nearest AA meeting and I was like, if I don't get to an AA meeting in the next couple of hours, I'm going to have talked myself into a drink as a remedy for today by about three o'clock. And so I found one, it was at 12 o'clock, um, just down the street actually from where I was. And I was fascinated at how many uh, meetings were so nearby as well. I was thinking, my God, the solution's just around the corner. Um, uh, you know, and I've been here in this crappy room drinking and I could literally walk down the street in five minutes, have found a meeting where I didn't have to feel alone. So I um, took myself to that meeting and I walked in, there's about six people in the room and I looked at the walls and they had the 12 steps and 12 traditions, didn't know much about that, but I just didn't want to turn around and walk out again because I thought I don't really know what else I'm going to do. If I go out of here again, I'm just going to... Um, either not go back to work and probably just text my manager and tell my manager I'm feeling unwell and then just go and get a drink. So I stayed in the meeting and um, yeah, it wasn't like anything I was expecting. I thought people would be there like counsellors and I would tell them I couldn't control my drinking, that I wanted to be able to drink and for life to go back to normal and I thought they'd give me strategies and techniques for um, preparing myself before I drank like what to eat and what to drink afterwards and what medications to take and um, then they'd patch me up and send me off and I'd be fine and I could just go out and drink and everything would be okay but it wasn't like that it was um it wasn't actually about me um and it, and it was in some strange way like these people started talking about themselves and yet by not trying to fix me but just talking about themselves I was able to see things in their sharing that I realized that was me and um yeah they went around the room sharing and I was the last second to last person to share and um I remember being really upset and crying and looking at the, the ground saying I can't do it anymore and all of that lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth and then um Nobody said anything. Nobody said, they're there, it's all okay. No one said anything directly to me. But then the next person started to share. And I always remember him. He was um, he was talking about himself, but he was looking at me when he was sharing. And I remember thinking that he wasn't lecturing me, he wasn't advising me, but he was just saying like about his own life. And I just felt like, I want what he has. Like, I want his serenity, I want his calmness, and I want... There's something, there's an indescribable something about him that I just felt that I related to. And um, he spoke about how the program had worked for him and that he just kept going to meetings and did what was suggested. And I just thought, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I want what you have. And I think for me, the miracle was coming back to my second meeting 
um, because the old me would have probably been like, oh, I embarrassed myself. Oh, my God, I can never face these people again. But there was something about that first meeting where I just felt like I need to go back tomorrow and I need to keep coming back. And I did. I went back the next day and I went back the next day. And um, that Friday I was leaving my job. And, and they, <laughs> so I went to my first meeting on a Tuesday. And by my, by my second meeting on Wednesday, I knew I couldn't go. I wasn't able to go to my own farewell on Friday because they would have drinks. So I ended up um, finishing up my work early and um, going to an AA meeting instead. And um, I just felt like that's where it needed to be. Um, I just felt if I went back to work and I was sitting at my own farewell, I just didn't know if I would have enough strength not to drink. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go back on that merry-go-round again. So I didn't. I didn't. Didn't go to my own farewell. Um, and I had. And I put my recovery first. And I um, went to an AA meeting that day, and that was it for me. That was, as I said, nearly five years ago. And um, it hasn't. It hasn't been like. Um, a bed of roses there's been lots of challenges and I think when people think you put down the drink um, your life sort of miraculously changes it's for me it was it's a very slow it was a very slow um, change and um, sometimes it was other people who noticed the change in myself before I did um, but I definitely felt I've definitely felt over the last few years that um, as long as I do what's suggested and I um go to meetings and get a sponsor and uh, do the work. And that was really important for me is to do the, was to do the work with a sponsor. For my first four months, I, um, I had a sponsor, but I didn't really do the work. And then I wondered why I was in so much emotional pain. And um, I thought going on a retreat to some commune in the far north of New Zealand would fix me. So I did that. And then when I got there, they were all drinking. And I thought, no, maybe this isn't the way. Um, and I and I, I came back, I flew right back and I thought, no, I just need to find another sponsor and just do the work. Just keep it simple and do what's in front of me. So I did and um, went to her house and did the, the, the steps as was suggested in the big book and was honest with somebody. And um, it, yeah, somehow I managed to get past the, a lot of the baggage and start to live my life. And it hasn't been perfect. I've had challenges, um, I think, as we all. But I think um, I came to AA from my drinking and I stayed from my thinking because um, if I didn't work the steps and try to stay stopped, I think I would have gone insane. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of craziness in my head and I felt that a drink would help calm me down. But actually, when I don't drink, I do need to do something else. I need to into action. I need to help other people. I need to um, look outside of myself and I need to work the steps. And it's given me a life today and it's given me hope. It's given me freedom. Um, it's given me the confidence to come and sit here and talk in a radio show, which I've never done before. And, you know, um, people, it's funny at work, people have said that I'm a really good public speaker now because <laughs> I felt like saying, well, I've had five years of AA. Um, but, yeah, they were like, you're really good at talking in front of people. And I thought, really? I, I just, just, I'm so used, I guess, just talking in meetings. You just kind of get over yourself and just think about what's the message. You don't really think about, oh, they're all looking at me. You just think, oh, what's the message I'm sharing, you know, with other people and how can I help other people? And and it's really lovely to see um, people come into recovery and you can see yourself in them when they were when you were in um, early sobriety and um, seeing them stick with it and seeing them um, blossom. Essentially, it's a really nice um, 
thing to see. And uh, AA does work, uh, but it's it's a one day at a time program. Um, yeah, you just you stick to it for the day. You know, you just take it. Even at the beginning, for me, I was like one hour at a time. Can I do this for one hour? Can I get through this hour? You know, chunk it down into small chunks. And um, yeah, and, and suddenly one day adds up to two, adds up to a few months. And, you know, suddenly, you know, we're, you know you're a year, a couple of years in. And um, it becomes less about not drinking, you know, and more about moving towards um, having a life and, and serving others. Um, but that said and done, the, there are times where you have to be really vigilant as well. Um, there are times where it can come up out of nowhere and you can think, oh, actually, you know, I really like a drink. I could settle in here and I could really identify with these people and have a really good time with a drink in my hand. But then I just think, oh, no, it's not going to be like that for me. They can go home after one and they can um, come to work the next day. But, you know... Um, I don't know where I'm going to end up and I might be okay the first time I have a drink and I might be okay the second time but at some point in the future there'll come a point where I won't be able to stop and I'll say terrible things and I'll won't know what I did and, and it'll just be back to I'll just be back onto that roller coaster again and I just don't want to be there I just don't want to um, be back where I was when I first came into recovery um, so yeah, as I said, I'm very grateful today to be here and um, and to be able to talk about my recovery and to share my story. So um, yeah, that's me. Thanks. Thanks, Grace. You're listening to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. So it's our first uh, you know, post-lockdown meeting. So it's really great to be in the studio. Now, um, during the lockdown, even before the lockdown. We uh, received messages from on our Facebook page. We've got a Facebook presence. It's called AA On Air Wellington. And every so often, people that, that listen to this as a podcast or as a live show, they'll send us a message. And every so often, we will read some of them out. So I might do a little bit of that now. And obviously, we'll, we do protect the anonymity of the people that are sending the messages in because uh, you know they may or may not be alcoholics, or they, you know, they um, you know, people that like our page again may or may not be alcoholics. They might just like the show, or yeah, or the presenters, or something. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, th- this is a message from Hillary. She said, "Hi, I think your recording is over for this month, but just in case, I'm Hillary from Maine, USA, and I'm an alcoholic. I am so grateful for your podcast. Listening to this podcast helped demystify AA." and gave me the courage to join my local group. Thank you for all that you do for us. So thank you for that message, Hilary. There's another message from Connie. Sending a hello from... I can't pronounce that. Skaneetalees. NY. It's a great day to be sober. So thanks, Connie. I wish I could pronounce the, the place name of where you're from better than that. And there's another person um, whose first name looks like Belina. Thank you from St. Augustine, Florida. I found your podcast and it blew me away with gratitude. Um, my name is Jeannie and I'm an alcoholic. I got sober at 23 and on, yeah, so I recently celebrated 41 years. Listen to your February 2020 podcast, Brenda Told My Story. I'm a New Yorker, just moved to Florida right before COVID-19 hit. 
Listening to Brenda, I felt something I haven't felt in a long time, a connection to my core. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, yeah, thank you for that, Jeannie. All right, so um, if, if you're listening for the first time, or uh, you're, uh, particularly if you're in New Zealand and you want to get in touch with someone from Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a free phone number, and that number is 0800 229 6757. So that's 0800 229 6757. It's a free call number, 0800. And in most areas of the country, that's will be answered by a sober alcoholic who can uh, answer some of your questions about AA, perhaps direct you to a meeting. Um, if you need to find a meeting, another good way is to have a look at aa.org.nz, which is Alcoholics Anonymous website in New Zealand. And it's also a good way to have a, uh, a listen to these on-air meetings. So from the website, there's a number of different options. AA meetings, if you hover over that, and drop down to on-air meetings. So there's online meetings and on-air meetings. If you click on on-air meetings, it'll take you to a page where you can listen to a number of different meetings, these actual um, recordings of these live meetings. So some of them are done in uh, Wellington and some of them are done in Auckland. So there's about there's about 20 odd that I can see on this page. So there's plenty of recovery to listen to um, from that website, which is aa.org.nz, and then AA meetings, then on-air meetings. All right, well, I think I'll have a bit of a share now. So my name is Dan, I'm an alcoholic, and um, really is special to be here and it's been a, a really weird time for for everybody and um, in terms of you know worldwide but also here, here in Wellington New Zealand but yeah um, like it's it's um it's a great time to be in recovery too and it's interesting to sort of think back and um, how would I've handled this as a drinking alcoholic and I guess the answer to that is like I handled the rest of life as a drinking alcoholic, and that is selfishly. That's um, if there's if there's one word that would categorise my drinking before I stopped, it would be selfish. And yeah, it took me a while to realise that. In fact, I didn't realise it while I was doing it at all. And I thought what I was doing was normal. Like started drinking heavily as a teenager, and pretty quickly got into a lot of trouble and managed, you know, like, I'd, I didn't think it was fair how, even with my friends, we'd all drink and we'd all seem to drink the same amount, but I'd be the one that would get into trouble or wake up on a couch covered in my own blood and vomit and, you know, um, these sort of things weren't weren't happening to my friends, and I couldn't understand why. But it didn't stop me. Like I still carried on until I got into quite a bit of trouble, and ended up going to an AA meeting. And I was kind of going because I thought it would please other people, and it would look good. You know, like oh look, you know, look at Danny's doing something about his his drinking, but. I never believed it, and I never really wanted to stop. But I went along to these meetings, and I said all the right things, and I agreed that maybe I was an alcoholic, and I listened to the stories, and I thought, yeah, 
you guys are pretty bad, <laughs> pretty bad alcoholics, but I'm not quite as bad as you yet. And at, at that point I was never going to stop drinking at the age of 20. So I didn't. But I think what it did is sowed the seed for later on, so that when I did want to stop I knew where to go. And for the next 16 years I carried on, like I, I didn't end up in a in a park wearing a trench coat and you know drinking out of a paper bag that's you know the old stereotype of an alcoholic I managed to have a job all the way through my 20s and 30s I managed to get married I bought a, a house I maintained relationships with my family I kind of lived a relatively normal life except for every event was planned around drinking and my weekends were full of drinking events and quite often I wouldn't show up to things that weren't didn't involve drinking or if I did I was wrecked from drinking the night before so I wouldn't really participate fully in what it is you know like maybe a family event and I was you know I got a few warnings at work for turning up late turning up you know, sort of under the weather or still drunk from the night before and um, but you know I managed to adjust my behavior so that I could keep my job I needed to keep working so I could keep buying alcohol and you know maintaining my my lifestyle and I, I saw nothing wrong with this like I was I was doing this for years and it became part of my persona like you know Dan the drunk guy and I would you know, I thought I was the life and soul of every party that I went to, and you know, I would turn up and dominate situations, dominate conversations, be loud, be rude, and think that was fine. And I thought everyone was enjoying it. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I, I've, I've heard a lot of people um, hiding, talking talking about hiding their drinking, and I never hid alcohol like, around the house or anything like that. But I did hide among people. Like I'd quite often go out with my friends, and pretty soon I'd stop talking to my friends and end up talking to randoms in the bar. And my friends would go home. I'd say goodbye to them. I'd walk off like I was going home, and then I'd go back into the bar and hang out with some more randoms. And those people would move off, and I'd find some other people to hang out with. And that was kind of my mo. So I was like, I was drinking with people that didn't really know me. And I'd invite myself to parties, like anything that was happening that had alcohol there, especially if it was free, after work drinks and things like that. That was my priority. Like I would make sure that I got to those things. And I could, you know, I remember being at an after work drinks. And my, my focus was not on the socialising with my colleagues after work, it was how many free drinks can I get. And I remember talking to someone, pretending to listen to what they were saying, and the whole time looking over their shoulder, counting the number of beers that were still on the table, working out how many people were there, and working out when they were going to go home, and figuring out how many of those beers I could get without looking like too greedy. And that was kind of like, that was how I was living my life. Like everything was focused around when I could drink, how often I could drink, how I could get away with it, how I could still manage to function at work, how I would, you know, be sort of still pleasant to my partner or 
you know, sort of focus in on what she, you know, she was doing every so often just to please her so that I could go out and drink when I wanted. And um, and that was fine. Like, I was happy with that. And I didn't see a problem with it. And until the very end, and it seemed like the last few days of drinking, that, like, I was... It seemed to be escalating like exponentially in the last few days. Like I went out on a Thursday lunchtime, and then Thursday night, and then Friday night, and then Saturday night, and by, so by Sunday, Sunday morning, I was hungover and still drunk, very emotional, and I just it dawned on me that I needed to stop. So I was very upset with myself and still very drunk, and I rang. That phone number, that 0800 number, 0800 229 just in case you're listening. Um, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I, I rang that number, <clears throat> and they told me there was a meeting, it was at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, and they told me there was a meeting at 11 o'clock that morning, um, within five minutes' walk of where I was. And so at 11 o'clock I staggered into that meeting, and um, you know they asked me to share... And so I, <clears throat> I shared, and I cried, <laughs> and breathed alcohol fumes over everybody. And at the end of the meeting, they said, "Keep coming back." And I did. So I'd, I, um, I went to another meeting uh, on the Tuesday, another one on the Wednesday, and just kept going to meetings. Like I wasn't exactly sure what it was that I wanted, but I was pretty sure I didn't want what I had and pretty soon I was given a sponsor <clears throat> and we started working on the steps which was kind of like the, the biggest sort of most important project I've ever worked on which is myself and for some reason I just kind of just went along with it like they're all kind of suggestions that they're not rules they're, they're um, you know other people's experience has shown that following these suggestions works and it gets people sober and I could see that and I kind of believed it so I just kind of did it <laughs> because that's what everyone else was doing and you know it was starting to work within a few months I hadn't had anything to drink I was, I was going to meetings regularly I was meeting it with my AA sponsor and I was even starting to sort of help other people in terms of doing little bits of service here and there, you know, just like, even if it was, you know, washing the coffee cups after the meeting, things like that. And then, lo and behold, my AA sponsor went out and got drunk. And um, this wasn't my cue to go and start drinking again. It was just a, um, a realisation that maybe I needed to get another sponsor, so I did, and got another sponsor and carried on. And that's pretty much what I've done ever since. And... Like I still go to, I try and get to three meetings a week. And, you know, like when it, sometimes when I tell people that aren't in AA how many meetings I go to a week. Because, <clears throat> I mean, most people that are part of like a sports club or some sort of other interest, they generally wouldn't necessarily do it two or three or four times a week. Um, <clears throat> and so when I explain, oh, yeah, I go to three meetings a week, they're like, well, it seems like a lot. Then if I if I think about when I drank, and I would like I wouldn't drink every day, but I would have at least say two decent drinking sessions a week, and so those drinking sessions might last eight hours each. 
And then as well as those eight hours, there'd be at least eight hours of recovery time or dead time. Might be sleeping, it might not be. It might just be sitting around, hungover, not doing anything, not functioning, just being like sort of dead time. So that's sort of attached to the, the drinking as well. So if that happens twice a week, so that's works out to four lots of eight, which is 32 hours. Meetings are one hour long, that's three hours. So I'm kind of putting in 10% of the time into my recovery as I was into my drinking. And if I think of it like that, and, and the, like the results that I get from that, I mean, the, the, the benefits of, of not drinking are just, you know, like I couldn't live the life that I have now as a, as a, drink, as a drinking alcoholic. I, I, I couldn't do it. You know, if I picked up a drink now, so much of my life would change instantly. And some of it, a lot of it would change within a few weeks and a few months. Um, I absolutely, when I drank, I could not guarantee my behaviour in any way, shape or form. Like, I might have five or six drinks in a night and behave myself and come home at midnight. Or I might come home the next day and not know what I did and you know, end up in a situation which was embarrassing or, um, yeah, just awful. And that wasn't unusual. Um, nowadays, you know, I don't drink, <laughs> and that's um, that's a real huge factor in my life. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of like, whereas like being a drinker it was kind of the the single most you know important thing that really defined me. You know, it's almost like being a non-drinker now is that, although like I don't go around. You know, sort of trumpeting it from the rooftops. Look at me! I'm a, you know, I'm a, an ex-drinker. I used to drink, and now I don't. But I, you know, like I do tell people, because I think it's important to, to be out in the world and, and um, and talk to people and say, well, you know, like I I used to drink a lot, and now I don't drink anything, and there's a reason for that. And yeah, it's, I think it's important to for me to be able to say that to people, and pass on how it is that I got sober. And I think, you know, for me, I mean, AA is the way that I've done it. And I haven't, I never tried anything else. Like, I I was drinking and then I decided to stop. And the first thing I did was ring AA. And since that day, I haven't had a drink. So AA has absolutely worked for me. And it's worked for lots of other people as well. But I also recognise that, you know, AA doesn't have a monopoly on recovery either, and that there's many ways to get sober. But for me, I, like I haven't had to do it on my own. That's the biggest thing. It's like it's a shared experience, and other people have helped me. And I, I can, I feel I can, I can never repay <coughs> the um, the help that I've been given at the very beginning, especially. And now I try and help other people as well. And you know, it's it's an amazing gift. Like the you know, that I've heard it described as being a gift of sobriety and it's like yeah and we have to give it away to keep it as well which is kind of like a paradox and um, and for me I had to admit defeat in order to to gain power which again is a paradox doesn't make any sense but like when I came in you know um, after 16 years of, of not going to any meetings or anything when I, when I came in, I was ready to admit defeat. 
I couldn't drink like a normal person. In fact, I never wanted to drink like a normal person. I've seen normal people drink, and I don't want to drink like that. It's like one and a half glasses of wine with dinner. When did I ever do that? Like, where's the fun in that? It's like, you know, like, in, in the way people leave restaurants and leave half empty bottles, you know, behind them. It's like, I would never do that. So my attitude towards alcohol is just different to most people. Some people can just take it or leave it. I could never do that. As much as I wanted to kid myself that I could, I never could. I never wanted to. Like, if there was some sort of pill that I could take to make me want to have one or two drinks and, and, that, would, and that would be enough, I wouldn't want to take that pill. It's like, I'd rather have none, you know? And, and, um, and having none for a few years has absolutely worked for me. It's like, I, um, you know, like, I'm not ashamed of any of my behaviour anymore. I, I can look people in the eye. I'm honest. I, I live an honest life. I try and tell the truth. I feel as though all the people that need to know things about me, all the ones, you know, the things I need to know that they, they know, because I've told them. And I'm not living a double life like I was as a drinker. I'd have a, the, the public side of me and then the, the private side where all sorts of stuff went on when I was drinking and stuff which I had to, you know, come clean about later and um, as, as part of working the, working the 12 steps. But I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to, to AA for what it's done for me. And, um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have a drink today and uh, it's because it's a, it is a daily program and so it's all about today and yeah it's good <clears throat> it's just um yeah I'm, I'm really grateful that the meetings in Wellington have started back up again the um the live meetings I went to one last night and really good to see my fellows again in person in the flesh and you know I have missed everyone I've done zoom meetings and things but yeah I'm it's um there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now and just so happy to be sober and and to be part of this radio show as well. It's awesome. It's great. So um what I might do is uh is leave it there and just check to see whether sometimes people send send us a message during the show. But they haven't done that today. <laughs> um what I might do is I thought I'll read I'll, I'll finish the meeting before we do the um, the serenity prayer. I'll read the promises. And the the promises have have certainly started to come true for me. This is another reading from the Big Book of AA. So in the chapter into action, it's on page eighty three, and it's known as the promises. So I'll read that. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness, uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us.
we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Cool, so that's, uh, that's the end of the meeting. I'd just like to say thanks, Grace, for coming in. And, um, yeah, it's just been awesome. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly go through the, um, the AA on air, the, the AA website as well, aa.org.nz. Also the phone number for AA in New Zealand, 0800 229 So if you'd all like to join me with the serenity prayer, that'd be great. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.